A little piece of wood once complained bitterly that its owner was whittling on it and cutting holes in it. But the owner paid absolutely no attention to the little piece of wood because the owner knew that he was doing something beautiful. He was making out of the wood a flute. And it was as if he said to the little piece of wood, without these holes, without all this cutting, you would be a stick forever. You would just be a useless little piece of wood. And what I'm doing now is I am making you into something beautiful. You think I'm destroying you, but actually I'm making you so that you can make sweet, sweet music that will charm people's souls and comfort many a sorrowing heart. My cutting of you is the making of you to be a blessing in this world. Well, all of us, don't we feel like that little flute sometimes? Like we're being whittled on and cut upon. And, and, and sometimes when that happens in our lives, we, we may look to God and say, how are you allowing this? And it's very easy to feel like maybe he's not loving us. If you loved me, would you allow me to, to go through this pain? I know some of your stories. You know some of my stories. And yet, did Jesus tell us that life in this fallen world, as we journey through this fallen place, we are going to have our share of burdens and trials and pain and sorrow. And Jesus actually told us about that. He did it in one of the passages that uh, was part of our lesson. And I want to I wanna just unravel that one passage uh, tonight. It's Luke 9, 23. This is a passage that for, the, for all of my life has scared the heebie-jeebies out of me. It's one of those passages that I read real fast and go right on because I don't even want to think about what it is he's trying to say. Because he writes, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And it's in all four of the Gospels. You know, we, I guess he really said it and he really meant it. Now, put yourself in the place of the disciples who heard this for the very first time. I've no doubt that they had a very hard time taking it in um, as well. It's, it's right after he tells them that the Jewish leaders are going to kill him. He, he will be uh, resurrected. And then he mentions a cross. And they have to be thinking, why is he talking about a cross and why is he talking about my cross? What pops into their mind when they hear the word cross is not that lovely little necklace that we wear around our necks. No, they have actually witnessed what this looks like because the Romans used the cross as the most excruciating, painful torture that one human being ever imposed upon another. And that's what they are thinking. And they must have shuddered, they must have been horrified. And it's very easy to understand why their minds just couldn't take in what he was saying. I can understand that. I remember some years ago, my uh, youngest daughter was about three 
And she had been for several months, actually, um, yes, I know. Now, I really was young once and kind of cute. So you young ones enjoy it because it's going away, I got to tell you. <laughs> but look at the little girls. Don't look at me. That's what the picture's for. Uh, but my, my youngest was, was bleeding uh, for several months, unusual bleeding, and and we had a number of tests done on her at the hospital, and and finally the doctors at Children's Hospital said to us, "There's something, there's a growth of some kind in her intestine, and we have got to get in there and find out what it is." Well, the surgeon sat down with us and explained. He was very kind. He was very gracious. He was very logical. He explained to David and I, and he said, you know, very often we, or sometimes we don't have to actually cut you open. We can actually go in some other ways, but not always. And, um, and, and but, you know, he, as he's saying this, I'm a brand new Christian. I love these, this little girl. Uh, beyond all possible love, I, I would have died for her. And they're going to cut her open, her beautiful, sweet little tummy, maybe. I couldn't take it in. I just couldn't comprehend it. I, I think that's how the disciples felt. It was as if I didn't hear it. And I was in absolute shock when they rolled her out of the operating room. And she's awake and she looks up at me and she's in horrendous pain. And she looks at me with those beautiful eyes, blue eyes, big and as if to say, Mommy, Mommy, why did you let them hurt me this way? Thank God it was a benign growth. It was very large. But it was an experience I'll never forget because my mind just wouldn't accept it. And, and I think that was how the disciples were feeling. You know, sometimes we get after them. Why didn't you get this? He told you a number of times. He just you couldn't, t some things are just hard to, to, to fathom and, and take in. It would almost be uh, like Jesus would say to us today in contemporary language, this, this uh, passage, maybe it would be something like, be my disciple, uh, go to, to strap yourself down on the execution table, stick a poison needle in your arm, and then follow me. Or sell everything you have, buy an airplane ticket to Aleppo in Iraq, and go martyr yourself with your brothers and sisters there, and then follow me. And we're going, oh my goodness. I mean, am I the only one who has struggled with this verse? For many years, I have struggled with this verse. And I'm actually very grateful that I drew it. I, I, they assigned it to me. I would have never picked it. But I've enjoyed, I've learned a lot by digging deep into it. And I, I think we'll, we'll, I hope that I can bring some clarity. Because I think what, what disturbs us is that we know the nature of God. We know that God is loving and, and, and kind and compassionate. And then we have this verse about bearing our cross and we're trying to reconcile these two truths together. And we can, and, and I think there's even an encouraging message here. So what I wanna do is, is just, as I said, to, to ring out that verse tonight. And I want us to begin with the first part of Luke 9, 23, where he's, he calls us to be his disciples. So first of all, let's, let's figure out what is a disciple. 
Uh, and I want to start with asking a couple of questions. How many of you can say, in light of what I've just told you about carrying your cross and in the humble confidence of your heart, that you are convinced that you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. There's kind of a couple little hands kind of going up, but not very many. All right, we got one. We Okay. All right, let me ask you this question. How many of you can say in the humble confidence of your heart that you are convinced that you are a true Christian? Raise your hand. All right, we got a, a ton more. I think we're confused about this, aren't we? Uh, am, I, am I a Christian if I'm a disciple? How, how do those two things go together? Well, I want to clear up some fog. As we look at that text, as we look at that word... It, it means apprentice. It means follower. It means simply that if you have said, uh, Lord, I am coming to you, Lord Jesus, for eternal life. Uh, I, I believe that you are my savior, that you are part of the Trinity, you're triune God, and I want to follow you with my life. Um, then actually you're a disciple. I think Christian and disciple are synonymous. They're the very same, but, but we need to wrestle with that. So let's, all right, here's, I think, a formal definition of, of a disciple, a person who willingly enters into the ongoing process of following the master, living a fully human life in this world in union with Jesus Christ and growing more and more in the conformity of his image. And this, I would say, is the, nor is the normal life of a committed Christian. But the reality is, and we know it to be true, that, 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 that not every Christian lives a normal Christian life all the time. And so there are also, we would say, struggling disciples. Uh, a, a couple of examples, Doubting Thomas. Uh, was a struggling disciple. Uh, what about the two travelers on the Emmaus Road in the, in the end of Luke after uh, Jesus had been resurrected, but they didn't know it, and they're, they're, they're going back home, and they're so distraught. They're struggling disciples. What about Martin Luther? If you ever learn anything about some of these, uh, these uh, Christian leaders through the centuries, many of them struggled. What about us? I mean, haven't you had, let's be real, had some doubts, had some struggles. Yes, we are struggling, we, we often are struggling disciples. There are also disobedient, unfaithful disciples. The two examples would be Judas, and was Judas really a disciple? I don't know, only God knows that for sure. He sure was his own worst enemy. He went out and, and hung himself. He committed suicide. But we've got Peter, who, was, who betrayed Jesus just as much. But he turned around and repented and was forgiven and went out and was one of the key leaders to establish the Christian church in the Roman world. He wrote part of the New Testament. He, he was martyred. He gave up his life for Christ. But there was a time in which he was a disobedient and unfaithful disciple. Now, I will say, and, and we, I just, just by way of a little caveat here, as we think about being a willful, disobedient disciple, that's a dangerous place to be. You don't, you don't want to go there uh, because 
any caring parent goes after that child, don't they? And God is no exception. He is the hound of heaven. And when his own walk away, uh, if you've got, you keep praying for him, but he's, he's there. He is, he's creating circumstances and he will make life so difficult to get their attention for their good. So never envy a wayward child of the king. But indeed, um, we, we know, and, and maybe, and there may have been times in our life, and, and there may be some of you today right here who would say, if I really look at this, I'm a willful, disobedient disciple. But what we want to be, and what most of us, I would say, would we hope to move in this direction, would be we want to come to be mature, faithful disciples. And those would be Christians who are making progress in their Christian journey. Uh, they know they don't have it all together. They're incomplete. But they seek to, to walk with God. They seek to the, that tight relationship. They seek to obey him. And they're making progress, generally speaking. Sometimes it's, it's, it's you know, three steps forward and, and two steps back. But, but, but the, and then when they know they're never going to become sinlessly perfect in this life, but they're making progress. And I think um, we, we have some choices. Which would you be as we look at the list? Would you uh, classify yourself as a uh, mature, faithful disciple? Uh, we can be there. The, as we move along, and, and, and the Christian life can get easier. I can say that after walking with the Lord almost 40 years, it really can get easier. Um, but it doesn't mean we still don't struggle. We were struggling disciples, disobedient, unfaithful. And then there, there are probably some people in here who are not a disciple at all. I mean, your friend, your, your friend at work or whatever, she drug you here and you're kicking the tires. And I just have to say to you, welcome. We are glad you are here. Kick the tires. Ask any question you have because this is the most important decision you will ever make in your life but we welcome you. But the reality is that most of us probably vacillate, we hope, between that committed, faithful disciple and a struggling disciple, often depending on what's going on in, in our life. Now, over the centuries, Jesus has called millions of people to be his disciples. And really, that is our first calling. And we say, well, Jesus calls us to serve this way or that way. But all of our callings, our divine first calling is to be his disciples. And he says to us as his disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Now, let's look at that last part, because I think that's the part that really hangs us up. That's the part that's difficult. What, what does he really mean uh, by that? Take, take up your cross and follow me. So uh, here's some things to think about as we consider uh, this last part of the verse. First, you are not being asked to carry a literal cross. Uh, to understand what it means to bear our cross, we need to understand that, that Jesus is using figurative language. Uh, the, the cross there is a metaphor. A metaphor is a word that stands for something else. And we need to figure out what he's talking about. What, what does that stand for? 
Um, and he's not a, asking us to bear a literal cross because he said we, says we have to do this daily. And uh, some of us are asked to be martyrs, but most of us are not. And, and we can't die daily. Not literally, anyway. So, so this is a metaphor. And the second thing that I think is beautiful to understand is that there is another metaphor in Scripture that is similar. And it is the yoke metaphor. And in the yoke metaphor, we have another picture that Jesus uses uh, there's the, at a time when he is calling us to follow him. And he's, he's, he's talking about something else made of wood and something we are to come under. And I think, as, as, I think the lesson for us here as Bible students is, and, and how wonderful that you are committed, that you are staying in God's word. And I want to encourage you, you know, I've, I've done that all my life. I've been in a Bible study with other women for 40 years, even though I'm a seminary professor. I need you. I need you to pray with me. I need to, I need to keep studying with you. God expects his, his disciple daughters to know his love letter. And, and when we know it well, then we can begin to make these, these comparisons. And then we will interpret the, the scriptures well and correctly. Uh, each part of the Bible helps us interpret another part correctly. And I think that's the case with the cross metaphor and the yoke metaphor. So we find the yoke metaphor in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that's quite a contrast, isn't it? From take up your cross and follow me. Now how do we reconcile these two pictures? Well, I think Dr. Mark Bailey, he's my boss at Dallas Seminary, the president of our seminary, and he has written a book entitled To Follow Him, The Seven Marks of a Disciple. And he talks about uh, both of these metaphors and, and particularly the yoke metaphor. And he says that in Israel, during the time of Jesus, farmers would yoke a wild, young, inexperienced ox with an older, experienced ox to train them, to help them. And the experienced ox uh, knew the master well. Uh, the experienced ox uh, knew how to plow that, that row straight. Uh, the experienced ox knew how to get the job done. And typically that, that for a while, that young ox would, would strain and, and, and would, would try to go lag behind or, or, or try to uh, uh, rush ahead. And, and, and by evening, that young ox would be exhausted and have a very sore neck. But in time, if that young wild ox uh, was smart at all, that, that ox would settle into and learn from that sturdy, persevering ox and become wiser and more experienced and would actually 
learn to carry out the purpose for which that ox was created, which was to serve the master with ease and with purpose. Now, who do you think in that yoke would, was carrying the heavier burden? The older experienced ox or the younger inexperienced ox? It would be the experienced ox, wouldn't it? They were larger, they were heavier, and they were carrying the burden. And the picture really there is, is God is asking you and I to come to him and to be that, uh, to t bring our wildness and our inexperience and to take that yoke upon us because he is with us and he will carry that burden. And, and you know, the reality is actually that uh, the yoke, the cross, it's not optional in our lives. I mean, we live in a fallen world and, and it's broken and we are stuck here. And you don't have to go uh, be like, um, is it Diana that's going to be a missionary in Turkey? You don't have to go do, you know, she's called to that, but, but I'm not. And, and I don't have to go do that. A lot of us have said, well, oh my goodness, that's what, that's what carrying my cross is. It's going to make me miserable. I got to do something I hate for Jesus to actually be pleased with me. No. You're going to have your cross. You're going to have your burden. You don't have to go look for it. It's going to find you. <laughs> and when it does, Jesus says, yoke it with me because I will show you how to live well, even in the burdens and stresses and pain of life. And I will teach you beautiful lessons. And, and if you'll allow me, I will even make something beautiful out of that pain and struggle and sorrow. That's his promise. Because he says, if you're willing to walk beside me, I will bear the load for the two of us. And it may feel heavy sometimes, but you lay it on me and I will even give you rest as you are carrying that cross, carrying that yoke, because I am gentle and humble in heart and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so he, he's calling us to follow him, to learn to live in this fallen world the way that he did, because he carried that cross and he learned about redemption. He taught us about redemption as he carried that cross on our behalf. Now there's another picture that I think is helpful uh, when we consider the cross and the yoke metaphor. And, and it has to do with what we studied, uh, if you were with us last spring, in the book of Galatians. And it is the truth that the old you, before you came to Christ, but when you came to Christ, that old you was crucified with Christ. And you are a new person and you are called to walk by faith. And this is another reality. Galatians 2.20, we studied it last spring. Um, it, 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 Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ already. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I love Tom Constable. He's a Uh, a DTS prof, what he writes about this. He says, when a person trusts Christ, God identifies him or her with Christ, not only in the present, not only in the future, but also in the past. And in a real way that is hard for us to fathom, but is actually true, in God's eyes, the believer did what Christ did. So when Christ died, I died. When Christ died, you died. When Christ arose from the grave, I arose in newness of life. When Christ arose from the grave, you arose in newness to life. That's the picture of baptism. In baptism, you'll go down into the waters, and that's the old life. Your sins are washed away, and you rise in newness of life to walk with Jesus, to be yoked with him, even in the burden and painful times of life. Paul writes, my old self-centered life died. Now, not completely, right? We still got it. But we have the power over that sin, over that self-centeredness, if we will yoke up with Jesus. My own old self-centered life died when I died with Christ. And his spirit-directed life began in me when I arose with Christ. Therefore, in this sense, the Christian's life is really the life of Christ. And so indeed we can and we do bear our cross every day. Just as we became Christians by faith, we also live by faith daily. He says, the life which I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And faith in both cases means to trust in Christ. We trust him for our salvation. We trust him for our sanctification. Sanctification is that process, that discipleship process in which we become more and more like Christ. And Paul says that in some mysterious but very real way, he carries our cross. We lean on him. He was crucified in our place and we have new life. Because the yoke is easy and the burden is light, he is calling us to step under that cross, to step into that yoke willingly. That faith makes the burden bearable and ultimately even beautiful. When that relationship crumbles, he says, step under that cross with me. When the phone call brings that dreaded news. He says, step under that yoke with me. When a leader or friend betrays you, when a child disappoints you, he says, step under that cross with me. When you can't understand why God would allow this circumstance, this heartbreak, this injustice, when an opportunity shrivels up or a dream dies, he says, step under that yoke with me. Just as he made something beautiful out of his own redemptive cross, he says, I will make something beautiful out of your struggles if you will let me. But you must step under that cross, under that yoke willingly. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not my first reaction when something hard hits. 
when something difficult hits, my first reaction is not to step willingly into that yoke with Jesus. My first reaction in my flesh is to try to fix it. And if that doesn't work, then I try to ignore it. I just think if I just ignore this, it's going to go away. That seldom works. Well, you know, we can, sometimes we can try to deaden it. And don't we have in this culture all kinds of ways to deaden that pain, to make that struggle go away, to cover it up, to mask it somehow. We're going to figure a way out. We're going to go under it or over it or around it. And Jesus says, no, face it, walk through it, but do that yoked with me depending on me, knowing that I will help you, fully aware. And you know, if we don't do that, and our culture constantly gives us other messages, but if we listen to those messages, we, we, we try to fix it or deaden it or ignore it, it's just like taking that big beach ball down to the ocean. And, and, you, and you push that ball down and it pops right back up. And you find another way to try and push it down and it pops right back up. And that's what happens in our lives as well, is that in one form or another, that will pop back up, be it dysfunction, be it uh, destructive patterns, that we, the way that we live. And it's so easy to sidetrack our progress as a disciple when we do that. And it's even easier to become a disobedient disciple and to miss what Jesus could do if we would but bring it to him, yoke up with him, and walk straight forward facing it. That's his call. He says, I will make sweet music out of your struggles if you will keep in step with me. I love the story of Joe. I think it represents uh, a lot of our lives and the th kinds of things that can happen. He was driving home one evening on a two-lane country road, and um, he lived in a small Midwestern town, a community where they had a factory, and, and that was uh, where everyone was hired. Well, it, it went out of business, and ever since the factory closed, he'd been out of work. He took odd jobs, but, and he looked every day. He never quit, but he was pretty discouraged. Nobody was on that road because everybody just left. Nobody was coming back. Everybody was going, leaving, going to the big city. But he didn't want to abandon the place that he loved. It was getting dark. Light snow flurries were co collecting on his windshield wipers. And he almost didn't see the elderly woman by the side of the road. She'd been there for several hours and no one had stopped to help her. Well, uh, he pulled his clunky truck right up in front of her shiny Mercedes and, uh, and got out. And she was a little bit leery. Uh, she didn't know him. She didn't know if he was going to hurt her. Uh, he could see that she was apprehensive. And, and, and so he said to her, ma'am, um, I'm not here to hurt you. I, I, I want to help. Why don't you get back in the car where it's warm and, and I'll see what I can do. Uh, by the way, my name is Joe. 
Well, he it was just a flat tire. He, uh, he got out the tools. He skinned up his knuckles. They were bloody and dirty. He got dirty, and, 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 but he fixed it. And, and, and as he was finishing up, the, the elderly woman rolled down the window and, 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 and asked, can I pay you? I'll pay you anything. I'm so grateful, thinking about what might have happened if he hadn't stopped to help. He refused. He said, absolutely not. I wouldn't take money for something like this. But if you want to do something kind for someone else down the road, pass it on. That'll be great. And so she, um, she, she went down the road on, back on her trip. And uh, she stopped at a dingy diner a couple miles down the road. Uh, there was a waitress, a young, young woman, about seven months pregnant, uh, very kind, who waited on him, brought a, a dry, clean towel for her hair that was all wet. She got some coffee to warm up. And, um, and then um, the woman paid, and the waitress, as she took the $100 bill off to make some change, um, but when the waitress came back, the woman had left. And she wrote on a napkin, she said, um, keep the change. Someone did something kind for me. I, I'm glad to do this for you. But don't break the chain of love. Well, on her way home, the waitress felt so grateful to God how much they needed this money. She knew how worried her husband was that indeed um, they were just scrimping by and a new baby was on the way. Uh, she crawled into bed. He was already asleep. She bent over and kissed him on the cheek. And she said, God's going to take care of us, Joe. I just know it. I just know it. Well, I have to tell you, I hear stories like this all the time at seminary. You know, those seminarians, they live from month to month. They're all poor. It's amazing and beautiful the way that God takes care of them. What God does for those students, what God did for Joe, what that owner did for that little flute, God will do for you, and he'll do it for me. But he says, if you want to experience that beauty, you've got to come under that cross. You've got to come under that yoke. It's true that life isn't fair. And if you are counting on life being fair, if you hear yourself saying, well, it's just not fair, you're going to spend your whole life disappointed because this is a fallen, broken world and it's never going to be fair. And someday we do. We do feel like that little piece of wood, don't we? That we're being whittled upon and, and, and cut upon and, and we wince, we complain, we resist. And God is asking us, Step under that yoke with me. You're not alone. I will carry the burden. And that's what being a disciple is, is that we give him the load because he is gentle, he is kind, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And so my challenge to you is that the next time you say, oh, Lord, another cross to bear, Yoke up with Jesus. Yoke up with Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid of, of this verse in Luke. Come be my disciple. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. Because he promises that he will go with us. And one day he will make something beautiful out of it. 
And then you just might hear the delicate refrain of the beautiful music that will adorn your life. It will bring you joy. It will encourage others. It will woo the world to Christ because it is the greatest evangelistic tool we have, a life lived well in the hardships. And it will glorify God. And that's our challenge. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this, these beautiful pictures, Lord Jesus, that you gave us hard sayings sometimes. And yet, if we go deeper, we always find your true character and love and kindness. And yes, in this fallen world, we have our crosses to bear. But you are with us. And I thank you for this picture of the yoke that you go with us. Help us to willingly move under that yoke with you and to move through those struggles and those heartaches, asking you for help, facing them head on and representing you as we go. I thank you that you promise that you will even make something beautiful because you are God and that is who you are. Help us, Lord, to trust you. We ask in the name of your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.